welcome again to the Doomer Optimism podcast. Uh, today we have a guest coming on for the second time, but with new hosts. So this should be interesting. I actually just listened to the first episode this morning. Uh, so hopefully we can kind of build on that a little bit. And uh, for listeners, if you haven't heard that first one, I recommend you do. So hopefully we can build on that. Uh, the guest is none other than Jordan Hall. Um, I think from, from much of our audience, uh, Jordan, you need no introduction. Um, and you introduced yourself in the first podcast. But um, well, let, let me phrase it this way. You um, uh, suggested uh, doing the second podcast. What, uh, what are you thinking? What are your intentions for this, for this episode? You know, what do you think that we should explore? Well, the, the, the original point of contact was actually driven by uh, a Twitter thread around the concept or at least the term cosmo-localism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in particular, um, Joe, mm -hmm. I believe that's the name right, Joe? Okay, Joe, mm -hmm. um, was making, I think, extremely good valid points around the challenges associated with how we might conceptualize and operationalize anything that is not in fact strictly bound to the local i.e. what is Cosmo. Now he said something that I think was either provocative or what I say improperly incorrect but not entirely so which was that Cosmo localism is a way to try to sell localism to blue, to blue state liberals. Mm -hmm. um, and I say that's not entirely correct because there's a decent chunk of that to it for sure mm -hmm. um, but there's also something profound I think missing from it mm -hmm. and so that by itself was the thing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, now, of course, I could be completely wrong. So uh, part of it also is to check myself. If I'm completely wrong, then that simplifies things tremendously. Uh, so then the inquiry is something, okay, what are we trying to do here? Something like that. Like that's the, let's, let's take this thing up a notch. There's, a, there's an aspect of this that is embodied in the notion of localism that has got challenges, but it's got some, something like robust for simplicity because human beings know how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, there's another aspect, which is, okay, well, is that actually necessary and sufficient for where we, where we need to get? What would that look like? Or is this Cosmo piece actually necessary? And what does that look like? So that would be the, mm -hmm. the inquiry that I would bring into the conversation. It feels like you guys might be the ones to, to be on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. um, I should mention, by the way, that if my connection to Cosmo localism is through Michelle Bowens, mm -hmm. um, who I think was one of the people who's part of figuring it in terms of naming it. Yeah. And he and I haven't actually spoken a lot about it per se. So I just, mm -hmm. in some sense, I'm filling in the blank of my own conception it may in fact be misappropriating somebody else's term in which case i apologize and i take full responsibility for that hmm. nice. maybe it makes sense to start um by just riffing a bit um maybe jordan um maybe on our end too what i i mean i i would actually invite jason and jordan to riff on what you think it means this term to start like let, let's just you know lay the groundwork like maybe maybe we're completely off in our conception so let's just start by <laughs> naming it and and explaining it as we understand it um at the moment that's good yeah well let me start and, and i want to start actually with um the concept that you presented in the last episode um with joe and josh um uh, that of coordination within a paradigm uh, versus kind of coherence um, mm -hmm. and kind of the difficulties of scaling coordination um, outside of a paradigm across paradigms to like a meta paradigm. Um, and we need something else. We need some kind of larger coherence um, 
to foster kind of collective intelligence to solve some of these larger scale existential issues. Um, you use the uh, analogy of a, a train heading off a cliff. I, I think many of us resonate with that. Uh, and many of us in the numero optimism sphere resonate strongly with localism, right? We need to get embodied. We need to get reconnected with culture, with food, uh, with kind of a situated cognition. Um, and, but, you know, I would say that that's necessary, but not sufficient. And, you know, I won't speak for Joe. I mean, we've talked, I've talked with Joe about this concept of cosmopolitan localism, uh, which is slightly different concept. I think cosmolocalism is a little more technical about kind of the design global manufacture local ethos that uh, Michelle Bowens talks about. And cosmopolitan localism for me is just a recognition that one, we're having these conversations over the internet. Um, you know, I, I responded to him that tweet that, well, it's better just to be a strict localist, but have an internet addiction. Um, and I was kind of a dig at him, but I was kind of being serious as well. Um, we're all, you know, many of us are on the internet a lot. And so we can start asking questions of why are we on the internet, especially if we're localists. Um, can our activity on the internet be more conducive to uh, individual um, and collective thriving? Uh, and so to me, in, you know, that's an interesting inquiry into, well, how can we do that? And that can get into web three discussion, which, you know, all of us, are, I think most of us are, you know, kind of just dipping our toes into, um, but I think, you know, that, that might just be it. I, I don't know if you agree, that might be a good foundation to pass it on to you and see what you think. Yeah. So actually I'm going to, to simply I'm going to take the notion of cosmolocalism and crumple it up and throw it away and say, okay, great. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Almost everything you just said is, is I think the proper frame and, um, you know, maybe, maybe a conversation with Michelle Bowens around cosmolocalism is proper, but we're actually talking about something which is specific, which is okay. Mm -hmm what the fuck are we even talking about at the end of the day? Like what's, what's actually yeah. happening here? Um, and let me just sort of maybe drop into it because a few things were coming up for me, uh, like the notion of localism, like what's actually being considered. And there's a couple of ideas that uh, are concepts that I think are need to be held. Something like the notion of who, and I don't mean like which ones, what, what does even who even mean? I mean, I, my physical body is a kind of who, but my family is also a kind of who. Mm -hmm. And the, the notion of locality is different for different kinds of who, mm -hmm. right? There's a, you know, the, I was actually oddly enough looking at a, 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 a map of the original uh, indigenous tribes of North America in their own names and with the locations to which they were local. Indigenous mm -hmm. is a nice term, all right? Mm -hmm. So there's something there, right? the idea of what does that mean? And then we, we have the question of, okay, well then on where, right? Who and where, these are the real questions, they're deep. And the virtual, this domain, this milieu, right, this entire space, cyberspace, as my uh, Gen X progenitors refer to it, is a kind of where. And there's an interesting inquiry. What does it mean to be indigenous, local to that context? Mm -hmm. So what do we mean by local in this context? It means something like continuity of contact so as to be sensitive and part of a larger whole, i.e. an extension of complexity. And I think that point is critical. Mm -hmm. So hmm, you said something, what was the thing earlier? Oh yeah, co uh, coordination and coherence. Mm -hmm. So another way of slicing that would be to say something like coordination has to do with two moves. One move is a move of abstraction, discontinuity, separation from, and then another move of stitching together. Right? Those are the two moves. Mm -hmm. right? So this is a very common thing. Western civilization is very much made built on that foundation. So how do I decontextualize something 
which by the way has advantages by decontextualizing something I can begin to optimize for characteristics of it that I can select. You know, I can take corn out of its indigenous natural context and make it a big fucking piece of corn by moving it in the context of industrial agriculture. Um, so I can decontextualize something, disconnect it from its wholeness. And then what I wanna do is I wanna re-inject it into a synthetic wholeness, which is to say, I wanna stitch things back together. I want to take an analytic approach fundamentally, and then I want to try to engage a kind of synthesis on top of it. Mm -hmm. And this is coordination. And the preposition is that's actually a category error. It can't work. It always fails for reasons that are very well critiqued within the complexity milieu. And frankly, that Joe wields that as a very sharp knife. Mm -hmm. um, so then the proposition is that the, the invitation, the notion of localism, okay, well, what does it look like to actually not be decontextualized in the first place? What does it look like to actually be woven into a wholeness intrinsically as an aspect of a wholeness and then be living in the context of that wholeness? Now, that's a very different kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, it's very natural because it's literally how nature works. Um, so we don't have to worry about it not working. We know that for sure. The challenge is how do we humans actually operate in that fashion? So, and I would say that's, that's when I say coherence, I mean something like that. Mm -hmm. So now we, this question of who, what does it mean to actually become a who that is not just my physical body because mm -hmm. clearly that's possible. That's the nature of humans. In fact, I would say that no human, like the notion of an individual is already an abstraction. That's not a real yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then the relationship to where. Right? And so the relationship of who to where, we've got the where in terms of scale. Obviously, mm -hmm. the wholeness of life is indigenous to the wholeness of earth. So that's mm -hmm. easy. We know one who, mm -hmm. and we know one where. But then we've got this other thing, the fucking virtual, completely new. Mm -hmm. What is the proper who for that? Therein lies the question I think that is the most pointed for our moment in time. Mm -hmm. um, and my proposition, premonition, prognostication, is that there's a binding between those two. Yeah. That humanity only becomes fully capable of becoming a, an expression of the wholeness of life in the context of wholeness of earth, precisely to the degree to which we discover the who that is proper in wholeness of the virtual, that those two things are actually connected. That to be human is in fact to have moved out of nature we need to actually create a new stenosis that is a new wholeness that includes the whole of humanity, which includes the virtual. All right. Well, I, I'm, I for one will just jump in and say that I'm skeptical of that vision. I, I, I think it's, <laughs> it, it is, um, certainly I think that the virtual can be a tool, but it seems to me um, as a tool to allow humans to evolve to their rightful place. It doesn't seem right to me, or at least not the way I see it. I, I, but you know, like the ins and outs of the metaverse, I think, I guess, or web three more than I do. But um, I'm wondering if the virtual can be a tool to relocalize, to, um, to re-embed ourselves in what I think is more um, a human scale state and whether that means it could be a city, it could be a village, it could be a, a human scale state can be a lot of different things. Um, I'm thinking of even like flexible states and, you know, David Graeber's uh, last book and how these, these states can shift over time. I'm, I'm skeptical of the vision that like there's this, um, this human state that's going to come about because of the virtual like who, who, again, back to the, your question of the who um, and the where, I think of people like my neighbors uh, here in Uruguay who, uh, where I live and it's just like a, a small farming community. A lot of people are doing small scale like sustainable agriculture. They use WhatsApp 
and Facebook. But besides that, like they're not really leaning into the virtual very much at all. It's not a big part of their life. It's just like basic communication. And I think of the virtual as on the same scale or like on the same, yeah, on the same spectrum as things like the printing press, you know, other technologies for communication. Um, I wonder whether or not it's appropriate to think of think of the virtual in that way as a tool that humans have made. Is it a place though? I don't know. I don't know if it's a place and that's maybe something we should debate. Yeah, can I jump on what Ashley said? Um, so I think I, I probably occupy a place somewhere in between the two of you. So I, I, I frame it as kind of digital localism and physical localism. And I, and I like this idea of a digital place and this idea of digital localism because I mean, just to you know, speak from my experience, I would have really liked the internet when I was 15. And I was like moved to a new place and I was lonely and I didn't get along with my friends. And you know, if I could have nerded out with people on my particular inclinations, that would have been great. And so I think it's a great affordance to create a different kind of place that's based on mutual interests. Now, what I would wanna see happen is the two types of localism as I defined it, not parasitize each other, right? But be in some sort of synergistic relationship where um, the digital place, you know, allows us to meet, to exchange ideas in some kind of coherent structure. Um, and then to download that into a place, right? Whether that be permacultural techniques or whether that be um, new types of local currencies or, you know, people physically moving to a place that um, better suits their sensibility. Um, but of course, you mentioned the, the printing press, Ashley, you know, of course, the printing press revolutionized, you know, the, the whole world, right? We had the 30 years war, um, you know, everything changed at the printing press. It wasn't just a tool, right? It, it actually restructured all of society. You know, it might've led to the, you know, to the rise of, of capitalism out of the feudalist structure. Um, completely changed everything. Um, but I is it? But is it a? Is it a place though? Like, is the printing press a place? Like, is the virtual an actual place? That's my question. I you know what I is. mean? I think it is. I think if you define a place as uh, a shared, um, um, you know, a, a shared locus of attention, uh, I, I would say it is a place. Okay, I can see, I can see that argument, but I don't know. I I, I it might be a stretch. Just to get to like the, the like the idea that we are on, we are in the the human story of progress, and we're evolving to be something better and better always. And it could just be, in my estimation, that we have a have a have a peak in technology, and then the peak goes back down, and we we go back in, into something smaller, smaller scale and more human scale. That that that's my guess as to what's what's. Let's hold let's hold that one because I think that's totally valid. By the way. Um, I, I tagged that as the Tyson Yonkaperta version. And by the way, I'm not sure if he would agree with me at all that that's an appropriate thing, but I see him as holding the closest because by the way, if that happens, it's pretty much just Australian Aborigines because everybody else is fucking dead. Bjorkwood does not make it. You're dead. I'm dead. We're all fucking dead. There may be some guys in the outback who hang out and they're like, okay, we can fucking rebuild this thing. We've done it before. Okay. So just FYI, just in terms of framing the whole story, but that may be exactly right. So that's that. But I want to I take this notion of virtual, I want to make 
do some clarity because I think we're, it's a bit squishy right now. Um, and I want to do two things. First, I want to decouple it from media. So phones, computers, internet, metaverse, printing press, those are media. Those are ways that the virtual are expressed in the physical. The virtual is something having to do with the space in which the imaginal operates. It is, has nothing to do specifically with media, but it can only be perceived and communicated by means of media. So it's bound to media, but it is actually operating in the, the, the location in which the imaginal operates at all, which is why it's very human, or at least humans are the most profound expression of what it means to participate in the imaginal. I don't know what the, the imaginal expression of a, of, a, of a mouse is, and it probably is not zero. Um, but humans, I would say, certainly as a human, very, uh, very biased, play in the imaginal at a vastly higher level than mice and even chimpanzees do. And one of the things that we do is we create different kinds of media, which then allow us to begin to play in that space in different structured fashions to communicate more broadly or in different, in different ways, very unconsciously bound by the consequences of the media in ways that we don't understand, i.e. printing press and 30 years war. And this is the point I'm trying to make, is that once we fucking made that first move, that first move of being sapiens at all, right? Just homo, whatever, dude, we're just playing the homo game. We're just part of nature. We're just, just like baboons and chimps. As soon as we became homo sapiens, our doom was sealed, right? There's a thing that happens when you become sapiens, that you're beginning to do stuff that is very different than anything else that's happened before. One of the things that you do is you get language. Language is like one of the very first movements of this, the evolution of the virtual. If we're going to have language, we're in trouble because we have language, we're going to have the combinatorial consequence of distributed cognition, which is a vastly more powerful engine than anything that previously existed in the context of evolution. You're moving evolution to a different basis, and it's operating now in the imaginal much more rapidly than what's happening in the physical, which is why we use it, right? That's why it was uh, fit in the first place. But once you've made that move, man, you're, you're in trouble. Now, there may be a steady state. You know, the indigenous mode was human, it was homo sapiens, and it was operating for a very long period of time. And maybe actually what happened, in which case everything that's happened sort of for the past 30 to 40,000 years has been just a very long distraction. And several billion people who are just never really properly in the right place anyway. Oh, well, right, we kind of fucked up. <laughs> no harm, no foul, we're right, right back to something like a steady state. Or alternatively, maybe not. And it's kind of it. Uh, and the proposition I'm making is something like, maybe not. <laughs> maybe there's something about this thing that actually has a neosonotic characteristic. Maybe there's something about the ability of wholeness to integrate novelty while maintaining continuity that is just there and available. And I would put that forward not as a mandate or even a, you know, for sure, but an interesting thing to explore as long as we're not dead yet. Well, that's very doomer optimism, truly. And I and like and, and the other thing <laughs> that I tend to do um, is to to try to um, be agnostic about these potential visions. Okay, so let's play it out then. If it if it is um, uh, the imaginal, as the, the the word you're using, um, the virtual is the place where the imaginal operates. Okay, so let's talk, I guess, about the downsides of that. Um, that we're so obviously worried about. Um, and then the upsides. I mean, I guess it's useful to sort of use this kind of conversation to go forward clearly as to what it is we're going for, as opposed to, you know, I guess this thing is just inevitable. So we might as well, you know, take it on and let it, let it come at us kind of thing. For me, 
part of what I think Jason and I are trying to do is to, to at least tip, um, tip the interest, tip the momentum, tip the agency in, in a certain direction or another that's more thoughtful um, to lead to better outcomes. So I guess like <laughs> we should interrogate that a bit. Yeah, I, I guess I'll just add real, real quickly, you know, I, I think it's happening whether we like it or not, right? So, so the question isn't whether this should happen, whether we should explore this imaginal space, you know, made possible by, by virtual technology uh, as a medium, uh, but how do we interact with it as long as it's an affordance or, or, or a danger, um, right? Um, I would say that disconnecting from it completely and becoming inward looking and isolated is not the correct approach, right? So that's one kind of boundary that I would say, no, we don't wanna to go to that end. Um, and of course, becoming just a, you know, addicted uh, dopamine junkie uh, that no longer has their own thoughts and, you know, um, is being probably manipulated by ergors beyond their, you know, imagination is, is also, you know, the other boundary that, that we don't wanna consider. So, so the question for me is how do we, properly utilize this technology while it's available. We get into, you know, where we think our energy future is going and, and how much, um, you know, net energy we'll have in the future to maintain this kind of infrastructure uh, of a kind of a global internet. You know, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I think in the meantime, how can we, how can we utilize it to, for our aims? And, you know, I think in, for the Doomer Optimists, it is, yeah, we are utilizing it. We're connecting with each other. Um, of course, many of us are addicted, uh, but, uh, you know, we're also trying to get embodied uh, and, and help each other along the way. So, you know, that's, that's kind mm -hmm. of, you know, and so the question for me is how, how can we step up our game? Um, and I think Jordan is maybe uniquely qualified to help us. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Well, there's a whole bunch of things that come up. Let me, let me drop three. And the point the, these are non-linear. So the point is I'm actually dropping three distinct kind of modes. Yeah. Uh, I, I just happened to be reading uh, uh, Gregory Bateson's uh, articulation of the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps and 12 Principles uh, at 5 a.m. this morning, which is one of the things that I tend to do, um, which seems very, very relevant to this question. You know, we're all addicts. We're not like a little bit. And I don't mean if, I, if we take into consideration the scope of what I just articulated, meaning all of civilization is the thing we're talking about. We're definitely fucking addicted to civilization, dude. And I don't mean that in a small way. I just think about what a mess our lives are as a consequence of the degree to which civilization has disrupted our ordinary human behavior. Like we are addicts beyond comprehension, actually. All right. So there we go. Fair enough. Time for rock bottom, <laughs> time for the 12 step program. Um, so that's interesting. And I'm not kidding in the least, like, okay, it may actually be perfectly appropriate to just do that, follow the 12 step program, recognize the scope of our addiction includes the totality of civilization and start working it from there. Mm -hmm. All right. And notice by the way, so one of the points Bateson makes is the, the notion of because of the alcoholics pride, the notion of will as a characteristic, right? The relationality of the decontextualized agent endeavoring to use private will to constrain their behavior in the context of context. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's completely, that, that's the core problem. It's when you surrender that you are in fact a part of a context. And then it's only by being in relationality with the context on its own terms that you have any possibility of success, i.e. you surrender to something that is larger than yourself. 
um, that you have a possibility. So I would begin with that. We must surrender to something that is larger than ourselves. We must form a personal relationship with God as we understand it. I mean, welcome to your 12-step program. All right, well, mode one. Mode two, and they're going to sound very similar. Um, I would take a, I'd take a tip from the fact that if, if my proposition is vaguely accurate, then the problematic of the virtual is not new. Every human culture has always dealt with that as being a thing that fucks shit up. I'll give you an example. I learned about a particular uh, role in the Hawaiian lineage called the talking chief. And, and the notion here is this, the chief, the, the head chief didn't say things in public, but in fact had a very particular sacred container where they shared things with the talking chief who then would be the one who would articulate it in language in public. Why? Because language is fucking serious. It's extremely dangerous to say stuff, particularly if you're the king. If you take language so fucking seriously that you kill people instantaneously if they violate that, then you're treating this thing properly, right? So if you go back and take a look at the indigenous, the degree of seriousness that they actually apply to the domain that we're talking about is a degree of seriousness that we haven't the vaguest conception of. Uh, possibility number two, reconnect ourselves with that level of seriousness. And just think about that. They treat language, verbal, oral language at that level of seriousness, and we build nuclear bombs and metaverses without even thinking twice about it. And so at least a little bit of a hesitancy. Um, okay, what was mode three? I kind of lost mode three. Sorry, got lost in my own. Uh, uh, does that mean, well, when you're thinking about mode three, does that mean that shitposting is out? Shitposting is out. Shitposting is right out. Yes. <laughs> Unless, by the way, you're engaging in sacred shit posting. So there we go. That's, that's oh, how I identify. I identify as a sacred, sacred shit poster. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you at all. I think so, you are totally, Jason. That's this great. whole thing, this whole category of sacred is, in my estimation, precisely what we're talking about. Right? The word sacred means what? The word sacred means taking utmost care with those things that require utmost care. Okay, well, what kinds of things are sacred? A mother's relationship with her infant child is sacred. Why? Because she has to take utmost care. Otherwise, very bad things will happen. What are the kinds of things are sacred? Well, actually, fire is sacred if you're living in an environment where a small error around fire kills everybody. Mm -hmm. Other things are sacred. Guess what? Nuclear weapons are sacred. That's what I'm trying to say. Right, this whole milieu of the virtual is in fact the domain of the sacred. Reconnecting ourselves with how to actually operate properly in the domain of the sacred is the third mode. They're all the same thing, man. It's sort of just recovering the reality that humanity has dealt with this problem many, many times. We just lost the plot. We need to recover the plot. Too sweet, by the way, because we ain't got much time. Yeah, uh, okay, so, um, sorry, go ahead. No, please. Uh, so yeah, so to me, it seems like, okay, it's probably, I, I'm, I'm, I'm increasingly convinced that, yeah, we're, this is just on a spectrum, um, starts with civilization, starts with language, starts with homo sapiens, and we're just, you know, at the end point of that. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a great argument. Um, but what if it is just um, really just a question of balance, um, for example, with alcoholism, like how much you drink versus like, you know, a culture in which you have a couple of glasses of wine with dinner and you actually live longer, you know, blue zone ideology kind of thing. Um, what if this 
you know, the, the process of getting back to the sacred maybe means swinging back into the embodied and sort of relearning the, the real consequences to not taking things seriously and not treating things as if they're sacred. That, that, to me, that it seems like um, relearning consequences is a big part of this mm -hmm. process, of this journey. So I wonder if, like, I think a lot of people want to do the cosmolocalism thing, um, maybe like primarily cosmo, tiny bit localism. <laughs> and by that, I mean, like, for example, I was on the STOA the first time I was saying like, you know, we really need to re-embed in, into our communities. And somebody was like, well, how do I find people like I find online in my local community? Like, how do I find other like internet nerds, basically. It's like, you're not gonna find internet nerds in that your community. You have to talk to people who are different from you and relearn the consequences of relationships like that with people who are different from you and relationships that are embodied that have real consequences that aren't just shit posting or making jokes in your in-group um, on the internet, which is very low stakes and doesn't have a lot of consequences. So I, so yeah, I just wonder like the dialectic of this process, like for me, the, the through includes an embodied includes learning relearning the, the the process of what is sacred and, and the consequences of can I, can I propose something real quick um and, and this uh, this idea of the, of the talking chief came into my mind when you were talking ashley and you know the hyper online which i would say all of us are to some degree um you know is not is not the most common you know it's not the most common type uh in human society but but i would say that you know we might have a sacred role, you know. I, I don't want to call ourselves the talking chiefs. We're not. We haven't earned that title yet. Uh, we might. We might never earn that title. But uh, of kind of the ones who are able to to download the Cosmo, you know, that information, you know, whether it's information about what the climate is going to be doing, or uh, global supply chains are doing or, you know, new types of technologies that could actually be very appropriate to any given local context. And we're kind of translating that for our local communities in real life, many, most of whom will not be hyper online. Um, and so we are playing that role, you know, or aspiring to play that role and taking it with the utmost care, you know, and taking that role seriously. And I think I, I mentioned this to you like a day or two ago, Ashley, and you were like, well, that, that will lead to like this, this caste system where, you know, the nerds are, are, are kind of, you know, uh, the I higher, think I said higher nerd, class. Nerd, nerd fiefdom, I think I nerd said. Nerd fiefdom. And I said, no, the nerds stay in the cages. And of course that was a joke as well. <laughs> um, but, you know. Well, okay. So let's, let's hit a couple of notes here that are nice. Um, and let me just drop two in very small and then I'll come to this one, which is more, more, more important, potent. So yes, honestly, in many ways, I think the, the, many of these steps are very simple. Embodiment, yes. That's not happening, do that. Like in terms of just ordinary ethics for everybody, if that's not happening, do that. Mm -hmm. Integrity, mm -hmm. right? Those two things are woven tightly. And what, what does integrity mean? Integrity means to become whole in self. Right? To be well integrated, but to have integrity means to be whole in self. You're not tyrannizing some aspect of self, whether it's your back and shoulders because you're on fucking online too long, or it's some part of your own interior that caused you to want to be out of your marriage, but you're forcing yourself to be in your marriage because you've made commitments, right? All kinds of craziness. Or your addictions, all your various addictions. So integrity. Now all you have to do is start weaving that. You know? For me to achieve integrity in myself, I have to achieve integrity in my relationships, which means my relationships become more embodied 
as I increase the integrity in my relationships, all the scope of relationality begins to expand. To achieve embodiment of a larger scope of, 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 of relationships means that my family and or my community are actually becoming embodied. They're actually a living thing with real complexity, which of course also immediately includes my physical environment, right? So these things expand naturally, organically, using just those two principles held with precision. Okay, um, I want to introduce another Hawaiian term. Apologies to Hawaii, but you guys gave it to me, and I think you gave me permission to use it as long as I'm using it in Nipono fashion, which I endeavor to do so. Kuleana, it's a little bit, little bit like Dharma, and it helps resolve this issue of, um, you know, we're not talking chiefs because we have not earned it. Well, it's almost the reverse. You are a talking chief. If you haven't earned it, that's on you. Mm. It's in fact, your proper responsibility in world. Mm. What is your proper responsibility in the world right now? It's not random, it's not arbitrary. It's something specific. This is the Hawaiian concept. I think it's very true. You're here for a purpose. What is that purpose? Find it and then fucking do it. Carry your peace. And right? if that's to be uh, a steward of the, the emergence of souls into world and their beginning, beginnings of embodiment, otherwise known as a mother, hallelujah that hold that peace. If we all hold our pieces properly, then the whole is well held. And that's the, the nature of being human. Okay, if it turns out that your particular piece happens to be of the shamanic lineage, and, and this isn't necessarily nerd, by the way, nerd includes a number of different distinct functions. Some nerds are basically just accountants, mm -hmm. the purely analytic managerial types, Bill Gates, not the right kind. Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs, maybe the right kind, hard to say, didn't know him well. Sold to sort of the devil out here. So um, if it is in fact of the shamanic lineage, then you have a very particular role to play and it's exactly the one you articulate. What does the shaman do? The shaman mediates the relationality with the virtual on behalf of the remainder of the tribe and in support of the remainder of the tribe. Notice by the way, the shaman has a very powerful role of alienation from the tribe as well. Right? The shaman is not the king, the two cannot be crossed. The king and the shaman can't be shared. The shaman is, is sort of weirdly outcast for very important reasons, not the least of which is the shaman are the ones who can cross communicate. And the shaman have a meta language, a shamanic language that allows them to no longer be bound to the particulars of the language or the culture from which they are, uh, emerge, which is one of the reasons why they always feel a little bit out of sorts. They play with the fluidity and the liminality that is intrinsic in any human created structure. Right? It's just the nature of the beast. If that is the thing that you happen to be an expression of, which includes, for example, most artists, though not all, um, it's your fucking gig, dude. Own it. Play it well. Take sacred responsibility for your kuleana, which means at first embody yourself, come into integrity, and then show up what it shows up like. And what is your tribe? Who are the ones for whom you are supposed to be playing this proper role? And support them appropriately. Like it's kind of as simple as that. Again, simple, not vaguely easy. Right. Right. Jason, you can go next. No, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm trying to, trying to process that. I'm trying to think where, where we want to take this next. Um, I want to bring violence into this at some point. Let's do it now. I, I don't, I don't have a, a, you know, a ready thing ready to go. So let's do that now. How do we do this right? I mean, obviously we're not, the whole point is we're not doing it right, which is why we're suffering the way that we're suffering. You know, one, one thing that keeps coming up, um, in our little circles is this concept of gentrification. And maybe that's a good mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. way okay. to get into the concept of violence because, okay, um, we're all a mess. We're all, um, uh, many of us are of nowhere. Um, the process of relocalizing is in fact um, a process of, yeah, I guess, integrating 
um, in the best case scenario, integrating in a in a healthy um, co-creative way with integrity and everyone involved is um, sort of doing their part to be, you know, in balance and, and um, serving their purpose. But it mm -hmm. doesn't always play out this way. And um, there's a couple of people who are quite vocal about you know, outsiders from the city coming into their uh, rural communities and changing the structure of it and um, not being thoughtful about the locals or integrating at all. So maybe that uh, might be a good jumping off point for the concept of violence here. Yeah, that's very powerful. Um, shoot, can I, can I throw a, a slightly different thing into the pot so we can stir them up? Sure. Put a little lithium in that water. Um, so another lesson, that I learned again, probably quite inappropriately from Tyson was about the proper integration of violence as an intrinsic, every indigenous culture knows this too. So he gives an example of a game, a child's game, not four-year-olds, but like call it 10-year-olds or 12-year-old boys, boys, child's game for boys, 10, involves knives. The way the game works is each hand has a knife stewarded by older males, of course, and they cut each other, but they only cut each other on the back behind like, on the back half of the body. It's a serious foul to, to fuck that up. At a certain point, a one who has struck enough blows and has cut the other more wins, is declared the winner. In the conclusion of the, of the vi victory, however, the winner is then subjected by the mentor to perfectly symmetric cuts. So both exit with exactly the same cuts in the same places, right? They are now symmetric. And yet there was a winner, and yet they're symmetric. And by the way, they both got the shit cut out of them. Mm -hmm. Violence, presencing itself naturally in a well-held human context. Why? Because reality is extremely violent. Reality is unbelievably violent. If you do not metabolize and integrate violence deeply, deeply, deeply in your nature, then violence will just hit you very hard in unexpected and unpleasant ways. So you can't avoid it forever. You can avoid it for a short period of time, but it will always come back to hit you in the face. It's just harder. Right? Not, next time it won't just be play acting. It'll actually be real combat. And now you're dead, not just caught up. So that's another piece of it. And this, this notion of gentrification, let me play, pull that out. Um, so oh, let me just try this. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm now, we're doing this for real, doing, doing, doing it live. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, what's his name? Chris Rock. All right, so I got two guys. Ostensibly, by the way, lots of similarities, which is to say I respect both quite deeply. Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, two comedians. One comedian got slapped. And apparently, I assume, I'll, I'll assume for the moment that it's not staged. Uh, it's interesting that we live in a world where people argue that, and it's, I can't argue that it's not plausible. Listen for the moment that it's not staged. He got his ass slapped pretty hard from all looks of it. Not radically, like he wasn't knocked down. He was knocked unconscious, but pretty hard. On, in public too, right? In public, in a very asymmetric fashion. It did not appear like he wasn't in a place where that was to be expected. People were surprised. All right. Dave Chappelle. Oh, why? Why was he slapped? Because he told a joke. Hmm. Somebody took umbrage with his joke, thought his joke was not the thing he dug and slapped him in public. Dave Chappelle also told a joke, didn't get slapped. He got canceled, right? There was a concerted effort on the part of a very large number of people to destroy his reputation and his career. These are both violence. They're violence. And by the way, if you were to ask both men, which would you prefer? I assure you both would prefer to be slapped publicly. 
One is very minor. It's over instantaneously and frankly, the other guy looks like a dick. The other could in fact destroy your life and for long periods of time. Ask Michelle Bounds, by the way, who actually did get canceled. It's had significant long-term impacts on his entire life. Okay, so gentrification is of course a form of violence. So what are we talking about? What does that mean? That's a very powerful concept, the slow down. Again, key principle, slow down. You're generally speaking, don't know what we're talking about. Very important at a pure level of humility. Generally speaking, we don't know what we're talking about. Most of the time when we're communicating, we definitely don't know what we're talking about. Like even in our own minds, we don't know, but we're communicating, whew, man, it's a mess. Like the word violence, what does that even mean? Certainly we don't know. I, I've just been watching the conversations on Twitter. Certainly everybody is bludgeoning each other with rhetoric more than anything else, or not so subtle emotional violence and vaguely semantics. All right, so what do we mean? The notion that gentrification is violence, the notion that canceling is violence, and the notion that a face slap is violence, right? So why do we inquire into that? What do we mean by that? And then, and I'll include, by the way, the healthy version, which is what Tyson Young Kapertz's in a, uh, you know, that game, how that's integrated. All right. We've got one version, one thing that happens, one thing that ha has to do with something like boundaries, something like the kind of conflict that has to do with actually something like a higher integrity. You know, two mountain goats butting heads is an interesting thing. Like from the point of view of the mountain goat, it's violence. From the point of view of the species, it's health. So that's one thing. Right? Different aspects, different levels of scale have profound implications. Gentrification. The thing about gentrification that really comes to me is something like culture jamming, like insidiousness. It simulates being part of something, interfering with that thing's own capacity to be in integrity with itself. Grotesque. I feel almost like vomiting, just articulating the essence of it. It's 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 not just toxic. It's like it's insidious. There's a word. We have a word for it. Insidious. Hard to put your finger on. Brutally terrible. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> it's funny because there's a there's a, a very. Uh, problem of tautology. Maybe it's not even a problem. Maybe it's actually exactly right. It's something like there's a certain characteristic of behavior that is bad. Bad things are bad. <laughs> well, and there, there's this thing Don't that, that. yeah, there's this thing that kept coming up on Twitter over the past couple of days post um, Slapgate that was like um, some, uh, some, I guess, self-described lower class people were saying, I had no idea that it was like a strongly held social norm that you should never slap somebody or be violent with somebody at all. Like, I thought that was more like, a, everybody knew that in some cases it was appropriate. It's a hint, doesn't it? Because yeah. it's actually class warfare. Right. That's what it actually is. Right, right. It's actually well, class warfare. That, that, that's, that, that belief is actually not a widely held social belief. That is a version of gentrification as an insidious form of violence on humanity to prevent the use of proper violence to unseat 
those who are gentrifying. Right. Right. What should in fact happen is the people should just kill the fucking gentrifiers. Then they're done. Very healthy violence, natural violence, just clearing things out that are insidious. Well, okay. Propagating but, reality. But maybe there's a middle <laughs> middle ground, which is, <laughs> yeah. which is um, like the the gentrifiers should have some sort of comeuppance, meaning like they should have consequences, and those consequences will will teach them what are you know right. what, what is sacred, what you know, and and that that this you know internal coherence itself is sacred and can oh. potentially um can potentially integrate the outsiders and make every everyone is better after this integration but only after um everybody is aware that there's consequences to all of their behavior you know right. and, that, and then that teaches them the integrity of of who they who they have to be in community so let me yeah. double click on on uh, oh go ahead jason sorry yeah i just want to add um you know so if we're talking about relocalization to some degree, we're talking about gentrification. You know, even if we have the best intentions, I am—I consider myself a gentrifier. I, I would rather not be. It's a very awkward position to be in. Um, but I'm not from here. Um, you know, one thing that I try to cultivate within myself is a posture of humility because I know that I am bringing in a whole new set of ideas and practices and influences um, into the community that. Uh, is further attenuating um, long-held cultural traditions for multi multiple generations. Um, but at the same time, I, I see it as necessary. And I encourage everybody to try and relocalize. You know, if, if it's from where you're from, that is uh, uh, probably ideal. That, that would be the best. But for many of us, um, it, might, it, it will probably be in a new place, right? Um, and, and so this what? process of sacred violence of humility, hum, you know, humility within ourselves is hard. It's hard on our ego, right? So that's, mm -hmm. uh, you're kind of preempting that violence a little bit, but you know, that process of comeuppance of re being reintegrated uh, into the community and pr provide, you know, perhaps in the longer term providing net value to that community, um, I, I think is what, what we hope to do. And, and well, and Jason, let me just jump in there from my own experience too. Um, I don't, I, I'm a, like an American living in Uruguay and I don't consider myself a gentrifier, but it's because of the posture I've taken towards the community and the way, and the posture they've taken towards me. And um, if I, if I'm like, I went to my kid's school meeting and just sort of sat there with the other parents and barely spoke for three years just integrating and learning and being respectful of the of like yeah they're like what do you what do you think on this boat and my answer was always like i have no idea how to even begin to answer that question so i'm just going to abstain and they're like oh laughing yeah of course yeah this is all new to you isn't it um and then there is a magical thing that happens where eventually you get to a place where like my strengths as an outsider can strengthen the community um and and diversify it in a positive direction as far as I can tell um, but it's about intentionality integrity and dealing with the consequences like really not just coming in thinking things are going to be my way but instead you know dealing with the consequences and understanding the consequences of life here you know in this in this place mm -hmm. yeah my, my sense is that the the distinction has to do with a certain a singular point you know sort of like the second derivative um, so there's a distinction between, I would say, something like the way the gentrifier 
frankly, in the sense that, that Ashley is using him. Um, and a very, very not yet skilled, but new member. Yeah. So a very, very not yet skilled new member is not a gentrifier in the sense that she's using it. So we're making that, I'm making that distinction. Um, but maybe making a mess of things because, you know, they're not skilled. Fair enough. But the point, that singular point is a distinction. That singular point is something like choice, awareness, okay? a conscious choice to step into something in relationship with something on its own terms and recognizing that you have a responsibility of learning how to participate with that from its own wholeness, how to integrate with it, to operate unconsciously in the context of something new that puts you on the side of a gentrifier. In, in Hawaiian, by the way, again, all caveats, um, haole, right? It's funny. You know, I received the word haole in much the same way as I received the word aloha in a very haole sense, meaning it means white guy, right? So something like gringo. Deeply speaking, maybe not. It means something more like not listening. In fact, it's more specifically can't listen, can't hear. Unable to perceive the wholeness that is endeavoring to express itself to you so fucking clearly, right? So when you walk on the, off, off the beach and you step on the coral and destroy it, the fuck, haole? Which means, aren't you paying attention? to reality, learn how to step lightly on nature. She's telling you how. If you're a howly, you're a gentrifier. Right? That's the reason why I bring that up. And you can enter though and say, okay, sorry, lost. I don't have my aloha. I'm, not, I'm, I'm still very learning. I apologize. I will walk more slowly. Thank you for helping remind me and helping restore me back into its proper, which is like, okay, I acknowledge that you are part of the whole, providing me with clear signal I'll come up and so it allows me to bring myself back into right relationship with the wholeness that I'm consciously endeavoring to actually be in integrity with. So yes, comeuppance, very powerful, right? Sometimes that comeuppance is actually a slap in the face. I mean, sometimes the comeuppance is actually lineage extinction, but we don't want to get that far. We'd really like to avoid that. Nature uses that tool quite a bit, but we'd like to avoid it. Uh, but if you're not listening, you're not listening. And sometimes it gets down to you know, reality at the end of the day will hit you as hard as it needs to hit you to bring you back into listening, even if that includes the extinction of your entire species. Um, so the challenge is on us and the ball's on our court to learn how to, re to integrate simple reality, like clear signal, just clear enough to precisely hit us so that we are brought back into proper relationship, back into a conscious relationship and commitment to being in wholeness and then allowed to be steered back, which probably includes something like a ho'opo'opono, which isn't just like, sorry, there may be a whole process we got to go through to actually metabolize whatever lessons need to be learned. But the point is lessons need to be learned. Yeah. I mean, if I just look at Slapgate, I mean, I mean, just sort of create a constellation here, a whole bunch of shit. Like this annoys the shit out of me. I can't help it. I woke up twice now at 5 a.m. with this damn thing in my head because it's unspeakably rich if you simply have the willingness to delve into it. One point. Like the, a, a phrase that popped into my head. It was like, oh, good heavens, there's trouble in Babylon. Hmm. First point. Uh, second point. Why is it that you're criticizing the behavior of your betters? Oh, you weren't aware that they were your betters. I noticed you weren't fucking invited and you couldn't afford the dress even if you were. But by contrast, you invite them into your living room and give them access to your children's souls. I suspect you don't know the symmetry of your relationship at all. Right? These kinds of notions. Let's just keep that in mind. There's a whole lot going in in this particular event. But if I were to actually look at it in a localism context, the proper localism context of that event, right, where Denzel Washington, you know, whoever the fucking stars that we know, are actually part of what may be something like a simulacrum of a real community in this, in this environment. 
I kind of guess Chris Rock and Will Smith sort of know each other a little bit, I imagine. And I imagine they've met socially. Their families might know each other. Their wives and kids might know each other. I imagine there's something like that. You know what? It's between them. You know? The fact that some people were, were awakened from their dreamless sleep, ogling this weird ceremony of which they have no part other than parasitism, does not really uh, make me think that that's the meaningful part. But it was very interesting. Huh. So what lessons are being learned? What's being metabolized inside that local context? I imagine that Will is actually having some very interesting conversations with his wife and children. Ideally, Chris Rock is a part of those conversations too. And there's some sort of gathering around that to say, oh, fuck dude, your marriage is a mess. And whatever is bottled up inside of you, it needs to be solved. It needs to be addressed well, like a real healthy community, as you know, right? That's where the problem would actually, in, in Hawaii, that problem will be resolved there. Shit, you guys got into a fist fight in the middle of the street. Why? Oh, your marriage is a mess. Okay, that's the problem. We have found the pain point in the community. If we are a well-integrated community, we find the pain point and resolve the pain point. The fact you got into a fist fight is a signal. Mm. Fair enough. And if it escalates beyond that, it's because we don't have anything like a well-integrated community, and that's the real problem. Yeah, I, I so, can't help but, but just bridging this back to our discussion of the virtual being a place. Uh, and the fact that we're using mm, it as mm. um, an example to hit on larger themes, this example is you know, affecting our nervous system, it's affecting our conversation, it might affect our, you know, in real life activities, I would suggest that it is a place. And, and the fact that many of us haven't acknowledged that this is a place that we're kind of unconsciously feeding into uh, and actually not cultivating in a way that would meet with our embodiment, integrity, purpose, right? Uh, that is the problem. And so, you know, for me, part of the vert, going back to the virtual and the Cosmo local is realizing that yes, the virtual is a place, it is a form of local. Um, and so then the question becomes, you know, how, how does it become a wholesome place? Yes, how does it become a wholesome place? It's a beautiful way of phrasing it. Take that. Ashley. I might what make you, a what distinction. Do you to say about that? I, yeah, I listen, I don't know if I'm going to buy into a bunch of people watching a real local event happening and making comments on it as a place. Maybe there's a, a producer consumer distinction here. Like they're consuming that localized experience. Yep. They're not in the production of it. Um, and I think my guess is that people are so starving for real experiences and real comeuppance in their own lives. This is why people love like, soap operas and stuff they get to say like yeah he shouldn't have done that he he should have done that she should have he needs to talk to his wife and she needs to and they need to go talk it out and you know they they want they want to be they want to be a part of that for real for themselves and um yeah for me it just goes back to like <laughs> the only way through is to like have a bunch of us have these real experiences so that we know what we would do too. It's not just like, a. it's really easy in, in the virtual to make a comment about what somebody else should do, but what do you do when, the, when it comes down to it and somebody makes a joke about your wife or somebody slaps you in the face, like how do you react? Where's your integrity? What's your comeuppance? Like what, you know, all of those things. I think that people are starving for that personally um, but then it does make me, yeah, it does make me question then like, yeah, what, what is the role of the, 
what is the role of the virtual to get us there is my question not necessarily why do how do we make the virtual wholesome necessarily maybe it's not i don't know if it's possible to make it wholesome i don't know if it's possible to have real comeuppance in the virtual yeah but, ah. but um, so that's I, I that's a, maybe that's a question to go to next i i don't i i don't i don't see it in terms of making the virtual wholesome i see it as the virtual as part of making our lives wholesome right so it's it's not right, right. wholesome virtual it's the virtual is actually not that separate from well, all of, you know yeah or a dialectic a dialectic in which the virtual is self-reinforcing to something wholesome in our real lives yeah actually i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you comeuppance okay <laughs> i don't think you're thinking clearly <laughs> there you go that's about as close as i think we can get right now in the virtual um let's see so I, I'm going to, to hold team wholesome virtual as a possibility. Okay, let's hear it. And I'll agree with you, by the way, that there's something implausible about the notion of wholesomeness around uh, voyeurism of the, of the Academy Awards, right? which is not to say, by the way, the virtual can't be wholesome, but there are whole chunks and ways of being that can't be. Fair enough, right? Um, there the asymmetry, as you said, like the intrinsic asymmetry, the deeply, deeply parasitic asymmetry, by the way, bilateral parasitism, obviously, right? Uh, the, uh, the, 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 the room, why, why do people want to watch that room, right? If I, if I were to have an, an award show in my living room, people wouldn't tune in. Why? What's happening there? There's something very powerful and very, 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 very insidious, right? Back to that point. You cannot make something which is insidious wholesome. Yes. Done. Well, you can by extinguishing it entirely done good don't do that all right now what does it mean to start orienting towards what is a proper use of this virtual like i'm actually going to take it from the opposite direction maybe i think you're maybe not you're sort of assuming something like how do you make twitter wholesome well, maybe not maybe delete twitter right that's maybe what happens i'm asking a much deeper question right? how do we actually what would it look like in principle at all and how do we work backwards one of the things i've been thinking about for example is no human child should act interact with any kind of digital technology until they are at least seven, like developmentally. As a proposition, that may actually be the right, the right standard. Certainly it's a standard that is very difficult to act activate today, but I can defend it and I can propose that as a valid argument. All right, well, okay. If it turns out that actually creates a kind of mind that is strong enough and grounded enough in nature to then be able to venture into the virtual in very particular ways, while maintaining integrity, then that is a step towards wholesomeness, right? So remember, we're in tumor optimism here. We're assuming we fail and everybody's dead. So working backwards from that, there's a whole bunch of scenarios that seem very unlikely, but if they're vaguely plausible, they're the ones we should be looking at. Um, okay, let me see, there was one more piece. Oh yeah, yeah, there's a problem. There's a problem of lack of comeuppance. We're just to say there's a problem, the lack of the presencing of nature, of, hmm, of violence, but I wanna be very particular about what I mean by that. There's something about this, the positive form of violence, like the thing that sets boundaries in very clear, simple ways. Block, by the way, my to be blocked, has a bit of that kind of a characteristic to it. Like there's something happening there, which is, has a, comes, it's a boundary, clearly. Mm -hmm. So maybe we need to start getting a better vocabulary. We need to start thinking much more precisely and clearly about the thing that we're dealing with, not assuming a bunch of stuff or, or inheriting a bunch of concepts that aren't really either A, particularly well-designed in the first place or appropriate to the, the domain that we're in and assembling the appropriate kind of capacity to respond to the question. But I think that is a very nice place. 
to look and spend some time focusing. And I would be very careful to notice that, the, that this notion of violence is very poorly held. And the premise that the application of things like physical violence are categorically not permitted is class warfare. And it's just a form of violence being applied to harm certain people in a way that makes it impossible for them to even be able to defend themselves without being the bad guy. Very powerful, very powerful move. This reminds me of something Jason said to me one time where, um, so with Doomer Optimism, we're trying to like um, hold tenuously together a bunch of people who are like really heterodox thinkers um, who often disagree with each other strongly. Um, and then Jason said something to me one time like, you know, sometimes it's okay to let these fights just bubble up like that. Sometimes they have to express, you know, yeah. and I think the idea a lot of times is like, there should never be any conflict. Um, yeah, it is. It, it, it's not in keeping with our humanity, I don't think. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if Jason, you have like meditated on this more um, yeah. or have yeah. further thoughts. No, that, I mean, that, that expresses what I said. Um, you know, there's this concept that uh, I think we've um, kind of alluded to that Peter Lindbergh coined, mimetic mediation. Um, and I, I wrote a piece a while back thinking about it. And, and I wish I had written more on this particular point, but I did mention it. Uh, uh, sometimes you need to punch each other in the face and get a beer afterwards. And I, I wish I would have expanded on that because it was just like, you know, one, you know, one or two liners. Um, and, you know, I think there is something to, you know, and I also relate it to how I make friends. Um, and usually my closest friends, I've had some kind of deep conflict with at some point. Uh, not maybe not a deep conflict, but but we've kind of we've kind of slapped each other, you know. Um, it, there's almost, you know, I almost have a tendency to if there's somebody that I like that I think our relationship get deeper to poke at them, right? To see, you know, get what their boundaries are, um, you know, to get a little bit of tension in there that then can be creative tension. Um, yeah, that that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, it sounds like the kind of thing a wife would do or a woman would do before she gets married. And she sure should, right? If, she, if he can't survive you poking at him, then he's probably not going to survive the travails well, of marriage. Yeah, and I think to me, the the idea here, at least part, part of what I'm going for, is um, re-embracing the wholeness of the human experience, um, which I think we're in such a, such a, a narrow idea of what is allowed to be like for life, for your economy, for your relationships, um, you know, for, you know, what constitutes political action, what, what is meaningful work, what counts as work, um, that I think like re-embracing that is really key. Now, now my, my skepticism is that um, the virtual um, gets us to re-embrace that. Having said that, I am like probably the person or maybe Happy Holistic Homestead is, who is trying to use Twitter in the most wholesome way, <laughs> I think. Um, like literally just like mm -hmm. nice, nice memes and listen to these great things that are happening and they could happen for you too. And um, But maybe Jordan, you have a vision um, that can help us lean in to the virtual in a way that's helpful to um to advance like to, to to speed up to advance you know the the pro 
process, the, the project of <laughs> expanding the whole of, of human experiences and finding meaning, wholesomeness, integrity. I mean, um, to, to, to go with one of, uh, we have a, an audience question, how would you recommend a network of DOs exercise their sovereignty to enable others to become more sovereign? More tangibly, how do you think a group, group of small scale homesteaders can help more of those who are interested in their lifestyle other than just sharing information about their oh know, oh that's very simple that's very simple and i think is maybe absent not absent not adequately present in in your particular community and that would be the interior the subject the self sometimes known as personal development but that's of course a, a very tainted phrase but if it causes you to react that's the point um i mean if you were to imagine that, let's just imagine for the moment that this community, DO, yeah, Doomer Optimism, DO. I like the way it sounds like BO, um, which I imagine is pretty common among your. Uh, we <laughs> we tend to say we tend to say we tend to say do as in like do something, do anything. Uh -huh. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that do. wasn't intentional though, but it just <laughs> turned into that. <laughs> um, if you imagine that you were a family or a community, right, something like a. Uh, something like second and third cousins living cl relatively close together, uh, you'd be actually stirring each other's shit a lot and setting each other straight a lot. It's in, in, integrous, in, 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 sorry, it is intrinsically necessary for any kind of actual integrity, right? So kind of dealing with the external, how do I make my homestead more stable is kind of nice. It's good, it's important, but actually dealing with the internal, how do I myself come into a deeper integrity? How do I resolve any challenges or ambiguities in terms of my relationships with the people who I love most? Am I actually, and I'll give you something I think we're all pretty familiar with. Am I spending too much time online and not attending to the people who I love? Probably. Okay. Well, guess what? We're probably making a mistake by doing it. How do we hold each other accountable to actually living our lives according to the values that we publicly express or the values that we hold? That would be a very simple example, right? a core example. Uh, and it's obviously an intrinsic part of wholesomeness. And it responds very interestingly to your previous point because this actually is happening exclusively in the virtual, meaning in the interpersonal communicative layer. Even if, whether it's happening across a room in the virtual of auditory language, or it's happening across the internet in the simulated virtual where I feel like you're across the room, um, it's still happening in the virtual, right? It's how humans interoperate with each other. So that space, where we have a capacity to support each other's development, um, to, to, to help each other discern what is our proper kuleana, to help each other discern what are our deepest values, to collaborate with each other to get clarity on things that we hold ourselves, to support each other in actually making commitments that are in alignment with our deepest values and then to bring up to each other, check each other on the degree to which we're actually living according to our commitments and according to our values is a collaborative enterprise that can only happen in the virtual. And now, okay, now the medium, I mean, didn't make a distinction, right, between the virtual and the media. Different media have different affordances. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the affordances of Twitter properly are. Uh, the affordances of symmetric video conferencing are obviously quite distinct. Um, and that's a different, that's a skillfulness issue. How do we become aware of the affordances of the distinct media and actually only use those media for the things where they're actually appropriate? You know, it'd be a little bit like trying to well, for example, solving something that requires voice with fists is not proper. But solving something that requires fists with voice is also not proper, right? Each medium has, carries its own strengths and weaknesses. Um, can I throw one last thing in before, because I think we may get close to the end of time. Uh, two things that I think are part of the human experience that are definitely not well integrated right now are proper relationship with anger and fear all over the place. 
right? Most people these days are some terrible kind of spiritual bypass, either repressively or uh, uh, suppressively. Um, and of course, those are both very important and deeply wholesome aspects of human experience, right? Anger is the surfacing of energy to protect something you love in the exterior. Something you love is threatened. You may not know what it is. It may be very important to discern precisely what it is. And you're perceiving it be, as being threatened. You may be wrong. You may not be under threat. You may be under help or maybe in neutral. But something you, you love, which you may not again know, you perceive as being under threat. And then energy is building in you to direct that energy into action to protect it. That is anger, a very honorable thing. Improper anger is anger which is either misdirected, directed towards the you know, energy wrongly deployed, deployed to the wrong thing, or in protection of something that does in fact not need protection. Okay, get good at anger. Let's become noble in anger and use our anger nobly. That is wholesomeness. Fear, same thing. In our contemporary environment, operating in a space of reaction or repression, fear means avoidance. You feel a sense of fear, you avoid. What does fear mean? Well, fear means something that you love is under threat, but the response is now a response in your interior, a response in how you're going to be in relationship with it, which may involve, by the way, moving your body away from it. Fair enough, all right? What's the proper noble version of fear? The noble version of fear is to notice that it's a signal, a very subtle signal. Something awry is happening in the environment, something that I want to avoid, something perhaps I should avoid, right? Not avoiding the lion when the fear is telling you a lion's in the room is a very bad idea. But in our contemporary environment where we're suffering from thousands of years of addiction and gentrification of our souls, we have to actually be very clear. Hmm, fear is a signal. There's something that I perceive a threat to something I love and it seems the proper response is avoidance. Well, first let me slow down and maybe go towards it and learn more about what is under threat and what is the nature of this threat and consciously choose, do I choose to avoid it or not? Not to be an unconscious fear, but conscious fear. All right, so noble anger and conscious fear. I propose those as two things to begin to metabolize. Yeah, this um, gets into the last conversation that you had on Dio, um, talking about religion and, and, and John Verveke's work. And, and you know, many, many people in the Dio community are, are traditionally religious. Um, and they're very, you know, comfortable uh, with that. And, and some of us, you know, are post-religious, uh, I would consider myself in that category. Um, and we're interested, you know, I would say we're looking for a metamodern kind of spiritual practice that feels religious or could evolve to be something religious. Um, and I think working with the kind of these primitives, right, that all religions, you know, are, are part of the ecosystem to address is you know, you said um, noble fear or, or, or noble anger, conscious fear. Um, you can work with these things, um, perhaps without a religious framework, but um, it's difficult. Um, you have to, you know, it, 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 takes, it takes a lot of work. And I'm, I guess I don't know where I'm going with this besides just flagging this, this problem space and perhaps, you know, the, the you know, DO itself you know, how, how we evolve in terms of cultivating this inner life um, in a very pluralistic, um, you know, set of religious contexts, uh, including, including traditional, um, you know, but we have kind of a communication layer that's virtual 
that enables us to support each other in this endeavor, you know, that, that is able to translate among across these pluralistic contexts. Um, if I might just like add a, my own little flavor to that, I think I think a lot of what we're uh, the people involved in Doomer Optimism are doing, and not just the people who identify, but other people who don't who don't know that they're Doomer Optimists yet, but are um, are experimenting with reintegrating themselves in the world and and like becoming part of their body, becoming alive in their relationships, being you know re in real community. But it's so messy. It's so messy when you've lost these skills, you know, and you don't have you neither have the, the individual skills nor the context to like <laughs> whip you into shape. I mean, for example, like, you know, Catholic church or Catholic school. I went to Catholic school like, you know, it, very common to use violence in a Catholic school to whip, to, <laughs> you know, to put the, the kids in, in to keep them in shape. Um, you know, not terrible violence, but it's like, you know, the threat of violence, there's a, there's a, there's a structure there and it has an outcome. Um, and it, and it, um, you know, I'm, I don't know if I would say it's like perfect or anything or, or, um, but anyway, so I think, yeah, it's what's, what's weird about the period of time that we're in, if I'm just like adding a little depth to, or, or like my own version of Jason's question is, is that messiness and how do we, I mean, it's like reinventing the wheel and we're just, we're like a bunch of, you know, confused and, and um, <laughs> I don't know, children without like a, a North Star, like not sure what to go to, to do and trying to remake um, traditional or, I mean, ancient structures um, potentially. And we're drawing from some of the most ancient structures that, and, and a lot of us are reading anthropology and, and drawing from that. Um, but yeah, I think just the the details of how that play out, um, and and what are, what are the best guiding principles, is um, something we should think of, about too. Because you know you don't want to um, to to hurt a lot of people in your messiness either. I mean, not that sticking, you know, not exploring the messiness is any better, or you're you're really going to avoid the risk. Um, but um, side and and another side note, I've been reading Ivan Illich, mm -hmm. and a big part of his work is like you don't solve it by just taking out all of the risk or taking out tragedy or taking out fear or anger or all of these things you don't solve the problem of human existence this way um you have to integrate those things they don't go away they just turn into something else when you um try to assume you can outsmart them um so that seems relevant here yeah joy uh, contains tragedy intrinsically. If you try to abstract tragedy from joy, you get saccharine. Right? It's not a real thing anymore. Um, I mean, what are you going to do? It's, we're, we're in a very rough spot, for sure. Um, you know, the, the, the catastrophe of modernity on the basis of the hubris of rationality, um, endeavoring to recapitulate billions of years of evolution, not just human tradition, but the whole fucking thing uh, in dozens of years of, of humans communicating initially using language and writing. Uh, whew, quite a mess. Um, so what are you gonna do? Now, on the other hand, obviously something was wrong, right? The traditions clearly weren't perfect. Uh, whether those were indigenous traditions or received uh, civilized traditions. So a couple of things that come up for me. Um, there's a lot, but let me see if I could just take a few that seem like they're worth sharing. Um, one, 
in the context of religion, by the way. I mean, in many ways, what you're saying is you're, you're, you're producing a religion, right? One way or another, right? whether you're taking one and trying to re-cohere it and bring it back to a certain vitality and living it, uh, or you're bricolaging something together as best you can. That's what sort of many ways what we're, what we're about. So we're definitely talking about something in that category. Now, one of the things that is a problem is that uh, there was a PSYOP in modernity that identified religion with delusion, like per se, right? Religion is identified as per se believing things that aren't true. Obviously, that's a PSYOP. There's nobody who, no, no institution that is universal and been around for a long time is nothing but believing things that aren't true. However, it is the case that religions consistently fall into the trap of what I think John, Johnny V and I coined is the distinction between the imaginal and the imaginary. The, the imaginal, the space in which it plays in the virtual, um, is the space in which religion is developed and is the space for which religion was developed, like the sacred. Again, remember the category of the sacred. Religion is the manifestation of, of, of disciplines and capacities and institutions and rituals and constructs that support human behavior in the context of the sacred, which is to say in the context of human culture, you know, the kinds of things humans do that are not strictly natural. But it's continuity, it's connectedness, right? If it is connected to the whole, if it has continuity of contact with the whole, if it is in fact connected to the sacred, if it's connected to the source, if it's connected to God, then it is imaginal, then it is religion vitally, it is lived. If it is separated, right? If it has discontinuity, if it is broken, if it's converted into the imaginary, right? If you live it as doxa, as doctrine, no longer alive, then it's the other thing, right? So that other thing is properly critiqued. The other thing is dead. And to follow that thing separates you further from the sacred. It's a real mistake, a real error. But the core thing is not properly critiqued. The whole point of the critique is to bring you back to the core thing. So that's one aspect, right? How do we actually re-enliven traditions by entering into them? Trying to be very careful, right? Take a sacred relationship with those things that are there for the purpose of and from the sacred and notice, okay, I can in fact shed the skin that is the imaginary in order to reveal the imaginal that was the point in the first place. And in some cases, I may just have to start bridging things together because we lost it. You know, and by the way, you want to have a very clean example of folks who got that problem, just go back to our indigenous friends. You know, there are entire giant cultures around the world that we, more or less, completely fucked up. Right? By the way, we were fucked up in turn. It's not, I'm not casting uh, aspersion. Civilization as a whole is the problem. Um, but if you're sort of trying to run, I don't know, Sioux, which they don't call themselves, um, tradition, or even Hawaiian tradition, it's really tough, right? That stuff's been really, really jacked and lost and twisted and turned and spun and, and erased. And it's like the Library of Alexandria trying to put together the, in the works of Euripides. You've got like five fragments. Uh, sorry, that's probably Parmenides. Um, okay, yeah, that's where we are. I think there's one really interesting saving grace, and this was manifested in a previous work called the perennial philosophy, which I'm sure many people are familiar with, but it's something like this. At the end of the day, we're actually talking about reality. Mm. We're actually talking about the whole. There is reality. It is. There's an isness there. Mm. And it's the classic elephant. There's an elephant. I may be talking about the trunk. You may be talking about the tail, but there is an elephant. So we can help each other collaboratively discern what is and then live more effectively as a consequence. Um, 
Well, um, we want to wrap up pretty soon. This might be the last um, last part. Well, Jordan, I, I'm curious. I mean, so you know, you're known for for working in the in the Web three space for a long time before it was called Web three. Um, do you see anything, you know, especially for for people from a DO kind of sensibility? You know, do you see any affordances that you know we should be on the lookout for, right? So right now, you know, we're having these video conversations. We're on Twitter. Most of us are not experimenting with DAOs or with cryptocurrency. Some are, but most of us aren't. Um, do you see, just on a kind of a practical sense, um, a healthy form of this new virtual space that's arising that that could be conducive to everything we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. And oddly enough, beautifully, I think it actually loops us all the way back to the very beginning and the proper use of the term cosmolocalism as Michelle and et al. described it. Um, one of the primary characteristics of Web3 mm -hmm. in, its, in its optimistic form mm -hmm. is the commons, mm -hmm. a proper base. So let me just step back. I would propose, I have proposed, and I will propose now quite vigorously that A, the commons, is not the state and not the market. Mm. And B, it's actually more fundamental. Mm. And that means a number of things. It means that the state and the market cannot govern the commons. If they endeavor to do so, they just make a mess of things. And that there is something that is proper to the intrinsic governance of the commons itself. Yeah? I would propose that Web3 is exploring a rediscovery of what that looks like, mm. a new form of how do we govern the commons. Now, by the way, Many of the ways that we govern the commons, i.e. physical local commons, is already well understood. Right? We just need to re reawaken those and learn how to live them again, which includes all the stuff you guys are exploring. But there's another kind of commons, right? the virtual commons, the commons of information, uh, which is a different kind of thing, it has lots of different characteristics, not the least of which is this notion of anti-rivalrousness. Mm -hmm. um, to, to the degree to which Web3 properly is conscious of its responsibility and the denizens of Web3 step away from uh, rug pulls and bullshit, but actually step into what they can and should be doing. One of the things they will do is they begin to embody the, the architecture of a true information commons. Right? This is more than Twitter. God, I hope Elon Musk pays attention. More than Wikipedia, but you can kind of get the sense of it, right? Something which is well-structured to maintain deeply the integrity of the commons itself. From a cosmo-localism perspective, this, of course, becomes a giant shared repository of all the answers to all the questions you could ever ask about how to do all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I find myself doing in a local context, for example, is watching YouTube videos to teach me how to fix my shit. That's a very simple example of what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, you got questions about how to you know, relearn how to go from being a city kid to being somebody deeply interwoven with a, a local context. You're going to have a lot of questions. Lots and lots. Well, that's what the information commons is good for. There are people out there who already know this stuff and they don't live next to you most of the time. Sometimes they do, ask them. If they don't, find them virtually and ask them. Sounds very simple, but the point is the information commons that we currently have is not well-structured to govern the commons on the basis of commoning. Web3 should do that. If it does do that, then we can use that and be very confident that it's actually giving us high quality, good answers, of deep wisdom, earnestly and truthfully and clearly and responsibly articulated to help everyone with lots of information. Right. It's actually very simple. It's not that complicated. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I root for that. I root for that future. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> um, I, I have to run. So I just want to thank you, Jordan, for, for coming on. This was, this was a lovely conversation. I thought it was just beautiful and very um, inspiring, um, at least for me. Um, yeah. Any last words, Jason? No, I wanna, uh, thank you as well, Jordan. Um, I've been following you for a few years. Um, I've been trying to grok you for a long time and it was a pleasure to, to be able to interact with you. I think we had, we've done one other podcast before, but it was a pleasure to, to interact with you again. And um, yeah, I always, I always learn a lot from, from you. So thank you. I, I think we have. My sense of it is you were 12 at the time and now you seem like you're much older than 12. So. <laughs> it was on the Boat Band podcast and yeah, I, I, was, I, was, I was 12 in, in, in internet time, yes. <laughs> It's All right. Very much my pleasure, guys. Thank you very much for wonderful. Okay. Have a great one, everybody. Take care, everyone. Yeah.